we didn't know to ask further questions because I just assumed you were exhausted. Why would you want to go out with, with your buddies at 12 o'clock at night when, when you just finished you know, your third shift of, of another job? I don't know where I'm going to end up. I don't know where it's taking me, but I can't be at home right now because no one gets what I'm going through. Even though I've already told you guys, it just still didn't make sense to anyone. But I remember, you know, distinctly that, that, that situation and we, and we were scared. Alright, let's get things rolling here with episode 1.9. It's crazy how fast episodes have started to fly by and we're already on to our second last episode uh, the season before Albie and I wrap things up with a uh, season finale. Um, we're going to do things slightly different this week. Albie is not in the studio with us. He's got a lot of uh, applications and interview process for his medical school. Um, so I'm just going to take over this week and going to do something a little bit different. Um, our guest this week uh, it hits a little bit closer to home for me. And uh, I'm going to have my parents on the show. I know we had a couple comments, questions and stuff come in about parental supervision and stuff in regards to mental health. Uh, and I thought this week would be great to bring my parents on the show. Um, two people that have, you know, really helped me through a lot of my own ups and downs. And it was a big learning curve for them as well. So welcome to the show, Mom and Dad. Thank you very much, son. <laughs> Thank you. See, this is just weird now having my parents on here. I feel like I can't swear anymore. <laughs> That's um, right. No, but let's jump right into it. I know this is something, it's kind of weird because I'm sitting here and I'm more nervous than I usually am. Um, <laughs> everything that went on with you guys through my ups and downs of depression, anxiety, and OCD, uh, it was something that I hid for a long time. And you know, once we've opened up about it, I know that you guys, you know, you could see things in my past that maybe this was lingering on for a lot longer, but... To tie this into our first episodes of kind of our host introduction, uh, I know I told my story of kind of moving away from home and, you know, kind of hitting rock bottom at, at one point in my life when I was in Boston and feeling like I, I couldn't get a grip of anything in my life. But I'll never forget the time that, you know, I, I told my dad what was going on and I came home from work. I was working at the airport at the time and uh, I remember walking upstairs to my bedroom and I, I had that moment of this might be it. I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to ask for help. And I texted my dad and I reread it about 500 times before I sent it. And I was laying there. I sent him this text basically saying, I don't know what is wrong with me, but I, I can't get it together. And he called me right away. And I ended the call because I, I was panicked that as soon as I answered the phone, I, I wouldn't be able to say anything. And he called back and I answered and just broke down and kind of said, like, I don't know what's going on. It's Everything in my life seems so perfect, but I can't seem to smile. And when I do, it seems fake. Um, so for this week's episode, it's it's going to be you know a little bit different than hearing a story of someone else. And we're going to kind of see the parental point of view that that my parents have gone through because anxiety, depression, and any kind of mental illness, you often think it just affects yourself, but you really have to realize that not just your support system around you, but it does take a toll and it takes an effect on the people around you. Um, so to bring you guys back into the show, mom and dad, I know I wasn't trying to neglect you there, but uh, when I first told you guys, I know there was a lot of confusion as to what it was and there's been some family history of you know, some depression and anxiety through both, both of your sides. Dad, for you, when I first brought this up to you, you know, what was your first kind of question did you really see any triggers prior to this or was it you know he's probably fine he just had a bad week no I I think Liam um, I mean we have witnessed over the years um, you know, different things and and nothing big particularly stands out but what we we saw you know as an anxious youngster um, 
you exhibit uh, certain things. But we, we chalked it up, I'm pretty sure, as parents to, well, these are just kids. This is normal uh, growth uh, of a child, neurological development. Uh, they're going to have their stresses. And so we probably never, you know, put too much thought into it being uh, anything more than that. Um, when you had mentioned it to us, though, you, you know, suddenly we started yeah, adding things up. And, you know, we had certainly witnessed um, you coming home from work, um, you know, mid-afternoon every day after you put your your day's work in and, you know, go to bed. Um, you, you started to withdraw a bit. You lost weight. You looked tired. And so we, you know, I think we had a pretty good sense that something was going on, but we didn't know what. And I don't think we were particularly well versed in in how to engage in the conversation. Again, you kind of uh, you, you look at a young man um, who you love and, and care for deeply as a child, but um, I, I, I guess maybe maybe we didn't want to presume anything, and um, it, it it reached a point uh, I guess where you. Um, we're able to, you know, voice your your own fears and concerns, and then it, it just kind of all made sense a bit. I'm I'm looking at mom here, and she's she's kind of nodding, um, and and then you know what 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 you immediately do in terms of reaction is at least I do because my tendency is is you just kind of take charge and you say okay, let's break this down. It's it's a problem. What do we do about it? Um, the real challenge I think I had with it, though, is I, I'm used to problem solving, but but I'm used to problem solving things that uh, make sense to me. And this mm-hmm. this was a, a stretch beyond that because I didn't know uh, a great deal about mental health or the specific disorders within the um, mental mental illness spectrum. Uh, I, I didn't know how to fix it, and and that was probably my own insecurity um, that persists to this day because I just want to try and fix it. But, um, y- you know, your mom and I both, it was um, deep love and concern. It was tremendous, um, and it might sound weird to you, Liam, but appreciation that you you could actually have this conversation with us. And as much as it introduced a level of fear within us because we didn't understand it, um, and, and, you know, parents very quickly jumped to worst, you know, worst nightmare scenarios, uh, and that, you know, caused ourselves to lose uh, a, a lot of sleep because we didn't know how to tackle it at that moment in time. Um, but but we were so appreciative that you came to us and that we could have that conversation and that we continue to have this open dialogue. I think that's perhaps one one thing here that is a message to other parents um, that they should hope for that. And not everyone has that benefit. It takes a strong child. Um, and I shouldn't call you a child anymore. It takes a, a strong... Uh, um, well, I'll be calling you a child most of the time anyway. <laughs> you're so. a child of ours, I guess, regardless <laughs> of your age. But um, it, it takes a you know strong character to be able to approach one's parents. Um, and you know I hope parents can simply uh, respond to it in, in a manner that we did. I don't think we probably responded perfectly by any stretch, and I'm not trying to suggest that. But I think we had a, a tremendous willingness to listen. I, de- I definitely agree with that. I know I felt like as soon as I said something, uh, it was definitely a little bit off my chest. I know I wasn't fully open about the extent of what I was feeling and the thoughts that were going on through my head. Um, but to look back, I mean, that was almost three and a half, three years ago now. 
And I could not imagine sitting here on a radio show talking about what I went through three years ago because I thought I just would have either, one, not been here, or two, never would have said something. And from my childhood growing up, I know I've talked about it before, but I was surrounded by loving family, awesome friends. I was able to do things that I wanted when I was a kid, grew up playing hockey all the time. And uh, that's kind of what put me where I am now, you know, still being passionate about the game of hockey and, and now advocating mental health. Uh, but growing up, I was, I was always a bit of a mama's boy. I know that hurts your ears, dad, but <laughs> no. I was always a mama's boy growing up. And, um, there was times that I think my anxiety goes all the way back to, you know, I was that anxious kid in class at <laughs> ages five, six, seven, I was calling, calling home sick. I'd have my mom come pick me up. And, you know, it, looking back now, it, I think it was an early, early onset of my anxiety that I didn't really get a grip on. And those were things that, you know, you never really pick up on as a parent or even as a child that, oh no, you know, I just have a tummy bug. That's all it is. Um, so for me to openly talk to these people that surround me every day with so much success and so much passionate love for, you know, taking care of me as, as their child, how am I able to open up and be like, hey, you know what, I'm like, I'm not happy. Because how do you take that as a parent? It's well, what am I not doing? Like, how how come my child's not happy? This this can't be right. They're just, they got to be going through a little funk. And for you, mom, I know this was something that I, I did tell dad first because I, I didn't know how to tell you because one, I felt like it was going to break your heart and feel like you did something wrong. And and two, you know, I look back on our past and, and the time that, you know, we've yelled at each other, gone back and forth. And it was just kind of my anger coming out because I feel like I was hiding so much. Um, I know that once you did find out that, that I had these issues, was there a point in time that you kind of realized, you know what, maybe this is when it started or kind of an onset of maybe this was there a long time ago and we just never really picked up on it? Well, you know, it's funny you ask that question and, and I go back in snippets in time. And for me, I always had a reason why I thought you were feeling or going through what you were at the time. So I go back to when we moved from California back to Nova Scotia and we started grade one. So it's the anxiety of moving. It's a new, you know, to you, it's, it's a new home again. It's mm -hmm. new, it's new friends. It's new neighborhoods. So everything new. And to me, I could reason, yeah, that, that makes total sense. So you're, you're a little child of five and six years old. So you would be anxious. So I would chalk that up to that's exactly what that was. And then fast forward to a few years later when we had to move schools and that was another episode. These, as much as a parent thinks they're small episodes, you're six and seven years old at that time. Your little world is little. It's not, you don't have the experience to, to say, oh, this is what it is. I don't, you don't have the development, the brain development to logically, to know and be aware of what's going on. So, you know, we talk to teachers and, and they're helpful, but it gets bigger and you and you sit on that and, and it grows and it festers and we don't think as parents that it's anything big. Oh, you'll get over it. It's just it's just a little blip on a radar. That to us doesn't mean it's gonna explode into anything. Right. And so you know, you you grow. Some people cope differently with, with things like that in their lives and changes. Some children don't. And Grade four for me was, was a change that I saw in you. You had a wonderful teacher who kind of brought that anxiety and it kind of, whether it was hidden or she brought out your self-confidence, it was different. You got a little more comfortable with yourself um, and more confident. So maybe, maybe then it got buried again. And I did find 
the change with you or the episode starting again in high school. And again, those were, were those were major changes and whether you were trying to figure out what, what to do with your life and whether it was going to be hockey or whether it was academics. Um, I, I, I think it's just the coping with those things. Um, but But you can't, as a parent, always assume a negative or we're too scared to ask the question and go, oh, is this more than what it is? And don't want the answer because we all want a perfect world. We all want perfect children. We don't want to have to worry about anything because they're lovely. Um, So until you're ready to be honest with yourself and accept those challenges that are thrown at you, you kind of just, we all kind of hide behind it. Um, Well, and I think, um, sorry to interrupt, but I think we, we all like to think um, or assume what is normal. And I think we're always rationalizing that, well, this is just normal behavior because you don't, you mm. don't want abnormal for fear of whatever that is, right? Um, I was pretty and, abnormal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, but I don't, think, I don't think, though, as, as parents, you can ascertain um, what is normal behavior mm. or what is potentially, you know, early signs of, um, you know, mental health related right. disorders. So, so I think, it, I think it's really hard. Yeah, no, mm. I, I definitely agree with that. And I think where we're at, you know, our generation, everyone talks about Gen X or Gen Z, whatever you want to call it now and the millennial generation and how we're so much softer as youth. And uh, I'm not here to stir up that pot at all, but you do see kids now grow up in, in our world where you're given a trophy for everything you do. And the real world is, you know, a big smack in the face and no one is ready. So for you guys, um, to put this in perspective for the listeners, I mean, my parents took care of me very well. Uh, they gave me the world, but at the same time, they without a doubt prepared me phenomenally to be ready for life. Uh, leaving high school, you know, they always encouraged me. I had I started a lawn company when I was 12 or 13. I was always, you know, shown that working hard, it, it pays the bills. It, it gives you... Not that money makes you happy, happy, but you know you're able to do things in life where you can surround yourself by knowing that hard work pays off, and that goes all the way through, you know, high school when I was going through a tough time playing hockey. I was struggling a little bit in math. I know I was in an advanced math class, and you know, my dad wasn't so happy if if I wasn't getting a 90 on the exam. He was jumping down my throat saying I need to quit hockey, and that's when I felt like you know, things took a dramatic shift in my life and it almost turned into, I hate everyone. I hate everything. And Mm. hockey is the only thing getting me through this. And you, you guys both know that there was a period in high school where I was doing things that were definitely abnormal. And some parents might chalk it up as, you know, they're just a teenager going through mood swings, et cetera. But I think now looking back on it, I, I was a kid that was basically trying to run away from home and run away from my problems, pretending mm. that I hate my dad because I can't get a 99 on a math mm. test and he's running down my throat telling me to quit hockey. Mm. So I'm getting in my car and, and driving away. And it's one of those things that to put this in perspective, I, I remember there was a time in the summer, I, I forget if it was after high school or at Acadia and I was fed up with being at home because I felt like no one understood what I was going through. And I got in the car and, and didn't know where to go. I just started driving and I said, I don't know where I'm going to end up. I don't know where it's taking me, but I can't be at home right now because no one gets what I'm going through. Even mm-hmm. though I've already told you guys, it's just still didn't make sense to anyone. Mm-hmm. And moving on from there, I remember I, I parked on the side of the road and mom's calling me a hundred times and saying sorry for, even though she didn't do anything, she's just apologizing because she wants to know that I'm okay. And it was something that until now I look back on it and 
never understood the severity of what I was doing and the toll it was taking on other people, but I was often neglecting the help that was sitting right in front of me. And, you know, mom, a, a question for you is what was kind of going, I know those moments happened more often than just the story I told you, but a lot of the time I took anger out on you guys and the people closest to me because I, I didn't know how to react and I didn't know how to ask for help, even though I felt like you guys might have known something, but you didn't know know the whole story. So I guess the question for you is, is when these events unraveled, did you just chalk it up as I was a upset teenager, probably going through a breakup or had a bad hockey game? And that That's absolutely it. I mean, you, you don't know what your kids are going through and you assume it's something simple. And we were all kids. Things are very blown up um, because we don't rationally think about a situation. So parents look at it and go, oh, it's just a girl, or oh, it's just a grade. Um, and nor do we even think, like I said before or said earlier, it's not that we even think that there's something else going on and we don't understand, nor did we know anything about it to even say, oh, oh, maybe he's got a mental illness. That, that, that wasn't even in the picture. It was just, to us, these were just little things. And, and it was maturing. You were, you were a typical teenage boy. You know, you were going through puberty. You were having changes. This wasn't I didn't any... grow much through puberty. But... <laughs> no, that's true. Um, but but, but we, you, don't, you don't deeply think about it. You just assume it's, it's being a, a, um, an, an, uh, or excuse me, a, not a confident young man. That, that's all those were ever thought about. Oh, for although, me, anyway. Yeah, although I, you know, as you um, tell that story, Liam, I mean, we we both remember remember that fairly vividly, and you know, we thought it odd, and again, it was a kind of scary behavior a, a bit to us, um, and it made us reflect. But I think what what we didn't know, in as much as you didn't know how to express how you were feeling. We as parents, and I think this is probably valuable, I hope it's valuable to, to other parents who may be listening, we didn't know how to ask the right questions. So we, we, would, uh, we would make conclusions, because we were the parents, and we, we failed to ask questions. And quite candidly, and I'll, I'll speak for me more so than your mother, um, perhaps didn't listen. Right? E- even if you were saying things, perhaps we weren't hearing it because we, we, we didn't want to, or we were just, you know, focused on uh, the expectations that, that we wanted. Um, so it's, but I remember, you know, distinctly that, that, that situation, and we, and we were scared, because we couldn't get a hold of you, and, and uh, it scared us. It's funny, Liam, you said earlier when you were talking about working at the airport, and, and I, again, there were a lot of examples, but that one particular one was, was where, just before you hit bottom that summer, you were home. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, people always say, oh, I didn't see the signs. Like they were staring me in front of the face. So I now look back at that and I think he was working two or three jobs. He was coming home. He was tired. He was sleeping and not going out. So as a mother, I just I just think that makes sense. He's outdoors. He's got a lot of fresh air. He's working labor work. He's tired. Then he's running to another job. My big thing was you weren't you weren't weren't eating properly, so you were just grabbing things on the go. I thought, well, you know, feed your body, feed your mind. You're not doing it, so logically, that was all that I chalked it up was just you were exhausted because you always like to do ten things at once. So I it wasn't even like I, it, the, all the signs were there, but you just missed them, and and it's because we weren't exposed to it. So 
we didn't know to ask further questions because I just assumed you were exhausted. Why would you want to go out with, with your buddies at 12 o'clock at night when, when you've just finished, you know, your third shift of, of another job? So, you know, and you can't assume every child who's tired and working like that is going to have or is dealing with mental illness. I'm not saying that. But just as a parent, maybe sit down at a quiet spot and ask a question if there's something else going on. And you may not get the answer the first time around. It may be 10 times asking the question. But there's don't ever be afraid to ask if there's anything else happening. Right. And I, I think that's, you know, one of the most frustrating parts for me is that I denied it for so long and I, I never wanted you guys to feel like sure. you maybe raised me wrong or didn't do the right things. And I felt like I was a burden if I said something to you, you guys because I felt like you guys have put in so much work to, you know, make me who I am and make me successful. So how can I possibly feel like I can't smile? How do I feel like I need to go mm. out in public and put this mask on and pretend like everything's great and yet I go home and I've got these thoughts in my head that I hope no one ever has. And mm. the turning point for me is, as you guys know, when I went back to Boston my second year, everyone's excited. I'm I'm pretty much graduated. I finished my summer classes at Acadia in three years. I'm um, kind of excelling my education and I'm getting back to a job that I love and I get there and I hit an absolute wall. And I mm -hmm. talked about this before in, in the first episode of this was my full out downswing, but I couldn't get my life together. And that's when I got in touch with Albie and, and Coach Belisle. And I remember, you know, vividly calling you guys and it was basically reaching for my last hope. And mm -hmm. you guys knew what was going on. You knew that, you know, I had some anxiety and I had some depression and I was on medication at this point. But I was still hiding so much from you guys. And, and you mm. see these awful, awful stories of um, kids that unfortunately get into that circumstance and they make an irreversible de decision. Mm -hmm. And for me, the scariest thought is, you know, when we have these conversations, you guys are always saying, you know, promise me you won't ever do anything. And there's always a pause. And I always say, I, I know I won't. But the reality, unfortunately, is with you know, where I've been at and in the lowest of my lows, sometimes you can't escape those thoughts. Mm -hmm. And it's no, knowing that, yes, I'm on the better swing of things now and thoughts are just thoughts, but how do you tell your parents that, you know, I don't want to be alive or I, mm -hmm. this would just be all better if I, mm -hmm. I didn't feel it. And that is the scariest thought to ever have in your mind. And, you know, Ben Meisner just released his article with the Players' Tribune. He'll be on our uh, show Next season, um, talking about his, you know, near-death experience where he almost took his own life. And um, it's one of those scary things that unfortunately does happen. And it's one of those events that parents are often taken by surprise. Family and friends are often taken by surprise. And it's just like what you guys said. Sometimes you don't ask the right questions. But how do you know when to ask the questions? Mm -hmm. Because until I really went to you guys and said, hey, like, this is it. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I need help. I, I shouldn't be here. And that puts you guys in a predicament. Mm. It's, well, where did this go off? I thought everything was fine. I thought you were excited to go back. So for a lot of parents and friends and family, I think a lot of people don't understand how to deal with it because, you know, you look at the stigma that's involved with that mm -hmm. and you don't know anything about it. So why, it's not like you're looking into it. It's just like I've said before, you know, if I, if I don't know anything about someone else's bones, I'm not going to go force them to study it. So why should they study something about their mental health if it's something they're not interested in? Mm -hmm. Um but then flipping that back when, you know, we did get back on the upswing and we started getting on the diet and you guys were 
my extreme support system, you know, reaching out to me every day, making sure I was doing the right things. How do you think, you know, maybe you could avoid this situation or open up at an earlier stage or maybe it's something that you just don't, you know, for us, we never thought about it. We just, we were always out doing sports. We we're always busy. We we're always doing the most we could do. And do you think there's any steps you could do to, you know, maybe create a voice prior to hitting a complete downswing? I don't know that we know. I, I think, you know, this is, this is part of the journey we're on. And, and I mean, the, you know, the benefit of, of hindsight, uh, always is perhaps we could have done things differently. It, it, it's, you know, it's fairly interesting because when you, um, when we re- we all reach this state, you know, from a parent perspective, um, you obviously reflect back and uh, are actually very hard on yourself because you say, oh, what could we have done differently to have avoided this? You know, how did we potentially cause this? Um, and, you know, I can only speak as a father, but you say, gee, was I, was I too hard on my son? You know, um, were my expectations too great? All well-intentioned, but were they too great um, and unrealistic? Did I push him too hard? Um, you know, creating the pressure of, of trying to make a, a given hockey team, uh, you know, constantly um, saying, keep your stick on the ice. You know, and, and again, it haunts you a bit because you, you, you really begin to question, did I make this? Did I cause this? Um, the answer, it's probably a bit environmental and it's predominantly genetic. Um, but, um, I I don't know earlier, Liam, because again, we only can do it now from a hindsight perspective. Would we have done things differently? I'm, I'm not so sure we Mm. would have necessarily perhaps, um, again, the benefit of these conversations, I, I think to, to, uh, the listeners and to other parents and, and people suffering from, uh, uh, you know, a variety of mental health issues is uh, hopefully the conversations could happen earlier because there's a greater awareness uh, out there. And, and that, you know, as everyone, uh, yourself and Albie and this program and Ben Meisner and, uh, you know, the, the, the um, uh, hockey organization he, he just uh, wrote with, uh, you know, begin to communicate uh, these stories. Uh, again, I don't want to say make it more normal, but make it make people know that they're not alone, and um, that there are important conversations to take place. So perhaps you know, uh, to go back in time, if I had had the benefit and your mom both of listening to these types of conversations, maybe we would have been in a better position to ask questions earlier on. I, I think it goes right back to this has never been a conversation. I've, I've been doing a lot of stuff at just hockey camps this summer and kind of doing brain development work. And I was just working with the Penguins Youth uh, Development Program a couple of weeks ago. And an interesting thing that we did, you know, usually when you go to a hockey camp, you're on the ice, you do dry land, you're back on the ice, and then you're doing video sessions or whatever. And one of the days we actually blocked off just to sit down and talk with the coaches. And all it was was a basically a social social session mm-hmm. uh, just to interact with each other and talk about, you know, the mental side of the game, how you prepare, you know, what's going on in your life. And it's something that, you know, when I was a kid, this was never a conversation. No one talked about their kids having depression. And I'm sure it's the exact same, you know, when you were a kid and you played soccer, you played mm-hmm. hockey, I'm sure kids did have depression, but God forbid, no one was going to say anything because you were, you were looked on the outside. And 
now it's starting to slowly develop into uh well you know i broke my ankle so i'm in seeing my trainer every day mm -hmm. how come if, if my brain's broken why am i not seeing a psychiatrist to fix this because right. there's just as many things to fix your ankle as there is for your brain but we think that because you can't physically see it that it's it's not as important ironically enough um you know there there are perhaps certain elements associated with uh, uh mental illnesses that that could enable an athlete to be a better athlete than an average right. Joe, and maybe that is focus, right? As a goaltender, it's focus. So, how do you actually take um, their challenge, understand it, create an environment of support around it, right? Um, and and you know improve their mental health. You may end up with even more more stellar. Um, uh, athletes or performances uh, than you did before. I mean, and that's, right. you know, I think that's where we have to get the, um, the, the coaches and owners and, and uh, managers of uh, these um, sports organizations to really understand that. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's funny. I think there's also when, when you've talked about the children back when your brother was in high school and when he was starting high school in grade um, 10, they had a session one night and they had a child psychologist in. And so we went just for curiosity to see what he had to say. And he was talking about this. And, and I looked at your father and I said, but this is way too late. These kids are all in grade 10. These, these discussions, these resources, these people you need to know, these need to be in middle school. Um, and it needs to be okay for children to have access and for parents to have access to this information so you're better prepared to have these discussions when they come up because it changes. So because we didn't have the knowledge and the tools right away or to see it or to talk about it, it went on for so long. And so when, and I, I'm going to go back now to when you went off to your second year at Boston, we knew that summer you were not ready to go back to to university mm -hmm. and but you're a young adult you're not 12 years old anymore i can't say to you you're not going you're 20 21 at the time you're a young adult i can't stand in your way you felt you were ready to go you were going back we dealt with things you you know you ticked all the boxes but you weren't you weren't we know knew you were not ready to go yet because that journey had just started within trying to seek help trying to get the resources and maybe getting on some medication to help balance. So when you, when you did fall that fall, your father and I were not surprised. Mm -hmm. um, so it, again, because of that, if it started early on and we knew and you knew and you had the resources in grade school or in high school, I think you would have been much better prepared. I think when you look back at the grade school stuff, it's one of those things that it reverts right back to the stigma. Because I know when I was going to MSMS, which is junior high in, in Nova Scotia, you see someone come out of the counseling center and you mm. instantly wonder what happened yeah. to them. And oh, you want to know like, oh, what are they going through? Like, exactly. What? What's, wrong you know, What's wrong with them? Yeah, you're yeah. always you're like, oh, they must be messed up or why are they seeing the therapist? And no one really utilizes these tools at such a young age. And it goes mm. right back to what you said is, as a parent of a kid at that age, you know, they're just a kid, you know, they're going right. through things. So how do we differentiate mentally? Is there something wrong? Or are they just, you know, they kissed a girl after school and they got nervous. So they were right, anxious and right. they had to go home sick, you know, one of those things. Mm -hmm. And you see these things of, it goes directly to what we still talk about. Albie and I talk about on the show. It's the stigma that's related into this. And mm -hmm. how can we wipe that 
So it's okay for a 10-year-old to walk into the therapist's room. And even when I went through this whole process, therapy, medication, all of that was something I never wanted to do because I Mm -hmm. felt like, you know, I, I could be successful in the classroom through hard work. I could be successful on the ice through hard work. So mentally, you know what, if I continue to work at what I need to, I'll be all right. Yeah. And I... I felt that going to therapy or doing uh, meditation or seeking uh, medical attention, it was going to you know, show that I was weaker. I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. But it's no different than going to your hockey practice or your soccer practice, mm-hmm. whatever it is. You go to do those things to get better. Absolutely. And therapy now is something that I love in my life. It's one of the best things. It's one of the best parts of my week that mm-hmm. I get to sit down with a third party and just talk about life. And it makes me wonder, you know, why aren't kids doing this at such a young age? Just get things off your chest and you start to realize that, okay, you know what? My thoughts are just thoughts and I don't need to go into a a downfall Mm -hmm, of things. And mm -hmm. I know for you guys and and Albie especially that this week was was pretty tough. I went back into a a hole that I didn't see myself going back down. And the unfortunate reality is that I do suffer from severe anxiety and depression and that's something that's not going to go away. And it's right, something right. that I it's need part to maintain of you. It's who you control. Are. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's who I am and it's, it's what I deal with. But it's all about how I maintain myself. And the most frustrating part for me, and I expressed to you guys and Albie, how can I do what I do and you know have all these steps and have all these tools but still hit that much of a low? Mm. That was almost a week ago now. And I'm able to look back and say, okay, that was not, not necessarily silly, but... I knew that it was going to get better. And at the time, unfortunately, I felt that this is it. I'm at the very bottom again. I don't know what to do. I can't catch my breath and everything's over. I, I shouldn't be doing this for work. I, I, I'm not who I think I am. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those crazy examples that we revert back to those stories that you see people unfortunately make these irreversible decisions. And it's easy to be in that position and feel like you're hopeless. It's easy to be in that Absolutely. position and feel like no one is going to understand and no one can help you regardless yeah. of what they know, what they know how to do um, or who they know. And for me, it's still one of those things that I have to work on. I have to work on daily. I have to work on hourly. It, you know what? This is what I need to do because I know that it puts me in the right direction. And I guess for our viewers, what I'm getting at is that you need to fulfill yourself, especially if you're going through something, with the right people around you. And for me, you know, having Albie around me, having my parents, having supportive staff that I work with, you know, you need to surround yourself with those right people because they're able to, you know, they know when things aren't right. They know when to push you, when to motivate you, and when things aren't right. And they're able to get you back in the right direction. So if you guys were to have any advice for parents with children who are going through something, because I know we've had a lot of people reach out and uh, whether that be family, friends, or parents, and they say, like, I don't know what to do. They've got something going on, but they won't, they won't seek help. They won't, you know, they're saying they're not going through something, but they're saying all these other awful things about themselves, and they don't want to be around our family, et cetera. Do you have any advice for if someone were to come to you guys and say, hey, like, I've got this friend or my kid is, is going through this, and I don't know what to do? Well, I mean, we, you know, we've, uh, we've encouraged um, some folks to... Uh, you know, essentially seek the appropriate medical um, uh, professional uh, advice that is required. I, th- I think we've able to we've been able to through the benefit, and and you know, it may sound ironic, but um, the benefit of this journey with you, Liam, has positioned us along with yourself um, to become advocates for um, mental health 
and uh, mental illness, um, and and to help impart to others uh, through our experiences maybe some of the steps that they can take. So I think it's opening up communications. It's um, it's getting over your own fear, even as parents, uh, of what the possible stigma you know may be. Because like it or not, I think we're we're very early on still. Uh, in changing the you know the general audience's views and perspectives of mental health, we've come miles and miles uh, from where we were a decade ago. Um, we've got a long way to go still in that. Um, you know, your mom and I are, are still very much uh, in learning mode too, and you know we want to. Um, and actually, we are, we are actually at this moment in time looking into some additional resources for ourselves to help us understand how, how do we cope. Um, as this journey continues? And how do we continue to help um, our child cope? And, and it's an interesting relationship, the, the parent-child one. And, and I can't recall who um, who said this to me, but um, he, he had an expression that went along the lines of, you know, a parent is only ever as happy as their unhappiest child. And it really resonated with both your mom and I um, and, and your, you know, your focus attention becomes that child, uh, naturally. And, and you only do feel, um, as good as, as, um, you possibly can, you know, which equates to how well that, uh, you know, the, the child who's hurting, uh, uh, is hurting. So, um, I, you know, I, I don't know, hon, if you have thoughts, advice. Just be very patient. Be patient. And just Love be your there. kids. Yeah. Don't judge them. I mean, that it's you know, um, if as you were Liam um, had the courage to to come forward and have the conversation with us, be willing to listen. Be willing to hug your child. Don't don't tell them they're crazy and slam the door. Um, try you know, not to get frustrated try because not we're to looking get at it through logical logical brains and and yeah, yeah just be there. Yeah, that's that's perhaps one of the biggest things I think. Liam and, and I know we've spoken about this um, uh, between ourselves in the past, but for the logical mind, the um, the depressed mind or the anxious mind doesn't make sense. The moment that you accept that, <laughs> accept the fact that it's not mm-hmm. a logical mind, and that's precisely why it doesn't make sense. It it provides a bridge to then talking about it. Um, I I would also say to parents. Um, have curiosity, curiosity to understand uh, the complexity and thinking. And to the extent that you're able to reframe it as a kind of a wholly negative thing, um, frame it as a, this just is what my child is and will always be. The good, you know, the good news, and you folks have talked about it on the program at various times. I mean, Mental illnesses are imminently treatable today with the right combination of, of uh, drug therapies, um, you know, psychological therapies, um, behavioral therapies, uh, etc. Um, but, but to reframe it and say, this is who they are, we love them for who they are, and we will support them however they need it. Uh, and if you do that, right? I mean, you, you tell us. I mean, you, you know, that's you're the you're the real proof point in all of this. Yeah, I, I think that goes right to the point of how I wanted to tie together the uh, second last episode of this season was to bring you guys on and show that 
because for me, I always felt that if I bring my parents into this, you know, I'm a burden to them. Because just like you just said, you know, you're only as happy as your unhappiest child, if I'm saying that right. And mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. it's tough because I know what I say does take a toll on you guys. And that's why sometimes I feel like I can't say what I'm truly feeling because I know it's going to hurt mm-hmm. my parents. It's going to hurt them because they don't necessarily understand what I'm going through. They don't know how they can help and they don't exactly know what's going on. And I think it just goes mm-hmm. to show you that you guys always, you, we joke about it all the time that you can't pick your parents. And I know if I could pick, I'm sure as hell sure that I would pick you guys as my parents because you you guys have really invested. No, we, we're pretty sure we pick you too. <laughs> um, I, I think you know, you use the word burden, and what what I think um, you do appreciate it. It goes along with being a parent when you, when you choose to bring children into this world. Um, there is any any manner of afflictions and challenges and stresses that will go with that um and you don't get to pick and choose them as parents so um it will never be a burden ever uh for us to love care and support our children all three of ours in that case and you will each have your different challenges along the way this this is uniquely yours liam um but no more or no less than what your siblings will have and um, we will support them just as, as we've supported you. And so I, I hope that the parents and I don't, you know, I don't sit here um, with your mom atop a pedestal thinking we're, you know, we're the greatest parents in the world. We're not. There's probably things we could have done differently or better. We did the best we thought we could at the time. We're learning as part of this journey, but we'll always be there. And um, I hope other parents will just take that away as a lesson learned. Without a doubt. So that's going to lead us right into uh, our part two. I'm going to sum this up in a couple seconds here after we get some music going. Uh, Albie will not be on the line as he's uh, currently in a, in a medical interview right now. Um, so I'm going to wrap this mm-hmm. up here in a couple seconds, and then uh, we'll lead you into the last episode. Thanks for coming on, Mom and Dad. You're Thank welcome. You. Thanks, Liam, and Love congrats you. to you and Albie both. Alright, let's get things going here with part two. I know this is going to be a little bit funky here because I am sitting by myself, so just picture that, that I'm sitting here talking to a wall and pretending that Albie's here. So, Albie, for your own self-confidence, let's pretend that I've got your face pasted against the wall here. Um, it was great to have my parents on air. Uh, it was something that, you know, I, I've been nervous to do for quite a while, uh, as open as I am with them. You know, it, it's still a topic that I struggle to talk about with them sometimes because I feel like they won't understand what I'm going through or what I have gone through in the past. And over the events that happened over over the last couple of weeks and, and things that have been going on in my life, it's uh, it's really allowed me to view what my parents do for me and they'll always be there for me. And it's no different than anyone's parents. I know everyone has their their own circumstances within their family. And my family's no different. You know, we, we've had our differences. And I remember there's still times that I go through that, you know, I get yelling matches with my parents and I was ready to move away from home. And I had the worst parents in the world. But when you take a step back and, and really look at what your parents do for you and you think they might not understand something, but they are your parents. And, you know, my fingers are crossed that they would do anything for you because at the end of the day, you know, if you go to them with something like this, it's something that they are willing to support you and, and willing to have your back and help point you in the right direction. And 
just as we talked about on the show, I don't think it's any different where my parents didn't understand what was going on. Mentally, they didn't understand that it's a chemical imbalance in my brain where my serotonin is not producing the same as, as other levels with other people. And they truly invested themselves in learning about this and learning different coping mechanisms for myself and them and how to lead me through different examples. And um, sometimes it's a bit overwhelming because you feel like, you know, your, your parents are truly invested in something that you feel you just can't get a grip on. And as much as someone wants to learn that mentally uh, isn't suffering from this stuff, sometimes it's tough because because everything just looks like it's much easier than it is. You know, the, the steps to, you know, working on your depression, working on your anxiety, it all seems easy. But the reality is that when you're in those positions, it is tough. And I'll say that firsthand, you know, the, the things I go through, it's I'm going to go through it for the rest of my life. And, and I need to accept that that's just what the reality is with depression and anxiety. And it's my job to deal with my lowest of the lows, and I know how I can. And it's it's truly up to me to figure out, okay, you know what, this is my motivation. And it's up to me to get myself out of this hole, because that that's who I am. I can't change who I am. And as much as I thought three, four years ago that I would never be able to do this, I'm here because I want people to know that it is okay to not be okay. And people truly need to understand that it's okay to not be okay. Um, kind of wrapping up this session, I know it's it's a little bit more boring with no booyahs from Albie, so I might uh, actually let's just clip in a couple right now. Whammy part two, Okay, I feel much better about myself, Albie. You finally got an air for part two. No, in all reality, I do want to wrap this episode up. We are coming to a slow conclusion of season one here with Never Gave Up Radio. We're going to conclude with a partial interview, just a quick season finale with Albie and I next week. And then uh, we are planning a season two. So definitely stay tuned for that. We've got a lot of uh, plans and we have a lot of episodes that are already recorded, but we just want to, you know, take a little bit of break. And we know a lot of people are heading back to school or heading back to their jobs in September. So we want to give some people, you know, some time to really focus on themselves and continue to follow our, our Instagram page. We'll still be posting and, and tweeting from all of our accounts and, and staying social, but we will be back. Uh, we don't have a date for you yet of, of when we will be back, but for now we will be back next Monday. So definitely tune in for our last episode next week. We'll have Albie back on air and uh, continue to fight this stigma with us. So definitely check us out on all social media platforms. That's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and all sound platforms, SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, and Spotify. Uh, check us out and uh, see you next week. So show me family On the blood that I will bleed I don't know where I belong I don't know where I went wrong But I can 